First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. The most incredible adventure the screen has ever created. He's coming right at us! The big news is... Welcome, everybody. Episode 729 of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. And if you are a fan of the movie Aeroplane like I am, you are in for a big treat today as the writers and directors of the film, David Zucker and Jim Abrahams, join me on the podcast today. They are the guys responsible for making what is now just a cult comedy classic, and they have a brand new book out that's all about it. Surely You Can't Be Serious, the true story of Airplane. Uh, David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and his and David's brother, Jerry Zucker, all three of them are the ones that did it. Today, I will be joined by David Zucker and Jim Abrahams uh, to really take a dive into this whole process of making the film Airplane, which is one that... I've been watching since I was a kid, and in order to get ready for this interview today, I was able to sit down and watch it with my two teenage boys. We want, we, you know, they got a chance to see it for the first time, and I got to experience it through their eyes and watch them react to it for the first time because it's a, it's a movie that it gets funnier almost every time you watch it. And there were some things because of the, the you know, obviously the gap in the time that I had to explain to them some of the jokes, some of the people, uh, some of the movies that they were trying to uh, copy, like uh, From Here to Eternity, the one scene where they're making out on the beach and then the waves wash over them. Uh, so they weren't familiar with that film. So there were certain times during a movie I would pause it and kind of go over what exactly, you know, they're poking fun at or what they're doing. So if you guys are a fan of the film, you got to check out their new book, Surely You Can't Be Serious. It's an in-depth and hysterical look at the making of the 1980s classic comedy. Airplane premiered back in 1980 with a budget of $3.5 million, and it would go on to make almost $200 million in sales. The book is packed with anecdotes, behind-the-scenes trivia, never-before-revealed factoids. And this is some of the stuff I'm going to get into right now with David Zucker and Jim Abrahams in today's interview. Again, it's an honor for me to get a chance to talk to these guys. They are legendary uh, filmmakers, directors, writers. Of course, they are responsible for the Naked Gun series as well. Another one of my favorites. Another one I get, I get a chance to share with my boys now as they grow up. So David Zucker and Jim Abrahams are going to be with me here in just a few minutes. So please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Zucker and Abrahams was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So you're going to watch today's conversation about Airplane. Please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, if you guys are a fan of the comedy genre in general, you know I've had a ton of comedian dads that have stopped by the podcast here, including Steve Harvey, Adam Carolla, Jim Brewer, Howie Mandel, and so many others. So go through the archives of the show here and check them all out. The NBA season is kicking off this week, and NHL is already rolling, so if you want to take your kids to a game, get your tickets over at SeatGeek.com and use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS, and you're going to save $20 on your tickets. That's good for anything, basketball, football, hockey. It's all going down right now, so get your tickets on SeatGeek.com and use that promo code FIRSTCLASS to save 20 bucks on your tickets. 
All right, so I'm pumped up to jump into this airplane. Comedy classic, one of my favorites. Let's do this. As always, please help spread the word about today's podcast every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list and let them know about the show that is here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it every day is Father's Day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview straight up with David Zucker and Jim Abrahams on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Fathers, David Zucker and Jim Abrahams. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Thank you. And you you got in a little bit on my on the end of my call with my son, Charles. So that has something to do with father's fatherhood. Yeah, yeah well, way to kick it off there. We'll start with you there, David. I'm going to ask both of you. How many kids do you have? How old? I have two. Uh, my son is 23 and my daughter is 21. So I can date her friends. Yes. You got one and one. How about you, Chip? I have three. The oldest son, 39, and a daughter, 37, and a son, 31. Very cool. So let's start this uh, just at the beginning of your fatherhood journeys here. David, how old were you when you first became a dad? Where were you at in your career, and how did that kind of change your perspective on life? Well, um, my perspective on life was already pretty set. I, I was 52 when I had my first kid. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's just been the most fun. I mean, I would recommend it to anyone. It's, you know, uh, uh, my kids are, are still, uh, my, well, Charles is, still lives here in L.A. And uh, my daughter is at the University of Wisconsin in her senior year in college. Very cool. How about you, Jim? I was 40 when we had our first kid, and it, and he couldn't have come at a better time because uh, David and Jerry and I had just uh, finished and released our, our movie called Top Secret, and it tanked at the box office. And David and Jerry were really despondent and broken up about But, you know, I was so into this new baby that it just it didn't make too much. I I was fine with top secret bombing. <laughs> so it so it it turned out for each subsequent tanking picture, Jim had another child. Right. So there were probably a couple of more after that. That well, bombed. yeah, there are ten yeah. or twelve other kids I didn't talk about. <clears throat> That's right. Okay, let me go someplace with this interview. Then I didn't wasn't planning, but you, you're talking about fatherhood a lot. And that's obviously your point of view. Um, what really, I have my youngest kid wound when he was a baby, wound up with horrible epilepsy. And he sort of in the end of the book, I when it talks about what we did after airplane, I go into it. Um, but that really changed my career completely. That's when I sort of stopped being interested in the movie business and started advocating eventually my son was cured of his epilepsy by um something called a ketogenic diet which i found on my own it wasn't recommended by any of the doctors we took him to see they drugged him and operated on his brain but never mentioned diet to us and so um when i came across the diet and when it cured his epilepsy that changed my whole life around and I became an advocate and started something called the Charlie Foundation, named after my kid Charlie, who's now 31, 
never had another seizure um, because that that became my passion to let other people know who were in my position, uh, in our position with a kid who was suffering from terrible seizures, that there was a, a way out of it. And, um, and- and Jim, I, I just recently did an interview with Cameron Boyce's dad, Victor Boyce. Uh, Cameron Boyce, the star on, on many Disney shows and stuff, he he suffered from epilepsy and he died from sudden uh, death and yeah. epilepsy. And so yeah. I know his dad is a big advocate of that as well. Cool. Yeah, cool. So I didn't, you know, I, I know we're supposed to talk about airplane stuff, but yeah, but yeah, no, 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 I, it's a, it's amazing how many people don't know about this. I mean, Jim, I mean, I'm sure you that's what the foundation deals with up because people, even though you've been promoting this for 20 years and it was not promoted when Charlie first got epilepsy, but people still don't know about it. And doctors still seem to be ignorant of diet and nutrition as a treatment. True. You know, what, what I found is that there are powerful forces at work in our healthcare system that really don't prioritize health. They have other motivations like money. And and the drug companies want to uh, treat these things with drugs and, and I guess the doctors with operations. So it's way overkill. That, that's what I was shocked about when I did do the interview with Victor about how, how little is known about it and how much attention is that. But how many people actually suffer from it is unbelievable. And I had no idea until I did the interview with him just how many people in our country are, are, that, that suffer with epilepsy. Yeah, there's a world epilepsy population of 60 million people. Most of those people start having their seizures as kids. A small, a tiny fraction ever hear about uh, diet therapy, despite the fact that it was kind of invented at the Mayo Clinic in 1921. And it's been around for over a century now. And the, it, it stopped seizures in about... 30% of the kids who try the diet and there's a significant improvement in another 30%. And those statistics have been solid for, as I say, over a century, but still it's, it's uh, grossly underutilized. Is your son involved with the advocacy with you? Yeah, he is actually. He, He's uh, given speeches, hasn't he? In front of. Yeah. He just, and the reason I smile is, because he just recently, there was a, a global meeting of scientists and doctors who are doing work in this area, and he sort of gave the introductory speech, and he talked about his life now and what it's like being seizure-free and drug-free and being able to eat now whatever he wants, and um, and he was pretty funny, too. Uh, amazing. And, and I'm going to roll that into this because uh, one of the things I always talk about on the show is is disciplining our children. I know you guys are always with the slapstick, with the humor, with the comedy, and sometimes could be difficult for the kids to know when you're serious, when you're not. But uh, we'll start with you, David. What, what type of disciplinarian are you as a dad, especially being a dad You know, when you were older? Uh, what type of disciplinarian are you? And is that different than the discipline style you grew up with? Yeah, very different. In fact, I learned a lot from my parents who did, you know, a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong. And uh, one thing I learned is that, uh, you know, your kids are going to screw up and you you have to tell them 
when they're wrong. And um, But the important thing that I learned is to forgive them. You better forgive them right away or the next day um, because I was never forgiven. So, you know, I worked it out by becoming a movie director and writer. So, <laughs> so that was, that was kind of a benefit, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I, I just learned so much from my parents and, and I'm only mentioning the stuff that they did wrong. And the other thing is they would give opinions on my girlfriends and they were always wrong. So, uh, so I don't give opinions unless I see, you know, oh, oh, this is an obvious serial killer. So you probably should not go out with this person, but you don't know what's, you don't know as a parent. And you also really know, don't know as a friend what goes on in relationships. So, um, I, I've, I've kind of, uh, you know, you use that as, as kind of a guide. Yeah, if the if the guy asks your daughter if he, if she's ever been in a Turkish prison pr- prison, you know there's uh there's a red flag there. Yeah, that usually is your first clue. Yes. <laughs> how, how about you, Jim? What type of disciplinarian are you, and is it different than uh, the discipline you grew up with? Well, it's kind of just yesterday, my daughter and her and a half year old son were here, and he just did a nutty. He just kind of lost and started crying and all sorts of stuff. And I would like to have thought that I would have been a little stricter with him, that my daughter kind of coddled him and appeased him and what's not. And I, you know, you what I tell my kids more than anything is they're allowed to look at the way we raise them and pick and choose what they thought was effective. I mean, all of us, I think, as parents are doing the best we can do it at, at the time. And we're going to make mistakes. Um, the the other story I tell my kids, I think more than any, and I'm not sure it ever sunk in, but is the story about the guy with the peanut butter sandwich, guy who goes to work every day and opens up his lunch bucket and there's a peanut butter sandwich. And he says, Oh, I hate peanut butter. It sticks to the roof of my whole mouth. I don't like the way it tastes. I just, I just can't stand peanut butter sandwich. And finally, one day, one of his coworkers says to him, "Well, why don't you tell your wife to put something else in your lunch bucket?" And he said, "Well, I'm not married, and I live alone, and I make my own lunch." And that's, I hear a lot of stuff where both I and my kids are complaining about stuff. But when you look back, you know, we made our own lunch. Yeah, wow. I I love that. And, and you know, Dave, David, I'm right in the same boat as you on the other side because my father had me when he was 50 years old. So I was the youngest. Uh, he was born in 1930. So I grew up kind of with all of those um, uh, comedies. You know, he introduced us to the Three Stooges, Marx Brothers. So that's all we watched yeah. really growing up as kids because he came from that older school generation. But his discipline style was vastly different than mine is right now with my kids. And I think, too, so many times, like whenever I ask that discipline question, a lot of the guys that I have on will say, oh, yeah, it's drastically different than how I grew up. I grew up with, either, you know, spanking or the the switch, the paddle, the spoon. And I don't do that. I think our our um, our, our the way we view parenting now is that spanking a child is considered child abuse when there's obviously a huge difference between spanking a child and and beating a child yeah well you know when i think you know danielle kind of taught me we you know you don't need to hit the kid at all i mean and that's my instinct was to hit him because that's how i grew up right and i mean not any horrible beatings or anything but uh 
and and we were able to do it without you know without ever having to use that that kind of uh, physical punishment and uh, we also had uh, the family bet you know our kids were never in a crib so um, we just always had them there and, and uh, you know it, it really did change my life you know that having the kids and I didn't I didn't mind at all because I mean you people people my single friends said well don't you miss going to the parties and I. I said, you know, I really didn't. You know, you go, you got, you have better stuff now. You can. I love to be with my kids, and uh, and yeah. and that's how and that's how I I rolled. And and also, I mean, the corollary is I I avoided going to stupid Hollywood parties. The when I was a kid, uh, one time I spit in my sister's ear, <laughs> and. So my mom spit in my ear, and I never did it again. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's one way to learn. Yeah. God, your mom was abusive. God, it's amazing you turned out like you did. Don't get me started. Yeah. And, and how about it? And in terms of uh, the values that you guys, what were the top values that you had hoped to instill in your kids as they were growing up? We, I think we we all kind of learned by example. You know, we saw. You know what my I just saw how my dad, you know, lived his life and my mom and they they had such great advice. I mean, except when it came to girlfriends. But, you know, my mom once told me and I I repeat this all the time. uh, She said, always tell the truth, but don't always be telling it. So uh, and, and that just has been so useful. And then, you know, my dad was such a wise man, but later I realized that, you know, uh, wisdom comes to a lot of people if you just live long enough. So I just thought, oh, my God, he was so smart. But uh, I later got to be uh, just as smart. <laughs> Good I stuff. Think, How about I you, think, Jim? I think what I learned more than anything from my parents is that granted to count your blessings and gratitude is important, but gratitude is more than just saying thank you. Gratitude is giving back. And so what I learned from my parents, and it's not that they preached it, it's that they lived it, is that they they would count their blessings and they were always giving back to the community. They were involved in civic stuff and religious stuff. And it wasn't until, again, till they were gone and I started to reflect on when I had my own kids and reflect on what kind of parents they were, that was always the example they set, though not what they preached necessarily. It's just the lives they lived. Yeah, mine, mine too. They didn't say you should give back or you should do anything. They just, they just kind of led by example. Yeah. And with gratitude, I try to teach my kids or tell my kids that, like you know, a, a healthy person wishes for a million different things, but a sick person wishes for only one. And you know, so it's like it, you have a lot to be thankful for, and it's important to not miss that mark. Uh, while we're asking for all these other things in life. Absolutely. Right. And, and then sliding it back in here uh, to Airplane, you guys, uh, along with Jerry, you guys have the book, Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane. It, it's a movie that I love, and I actually just uh, over the summer showed it to my teenage. I have four kids myself. I have two teenagers. Uh, they're 17 and 16. Showed it to them for the first time. Uh, just uh, so awesome that I get a chance to share them with it. So t- take me back here through this. Now, was this you guys bought the rights to Zero Hour? How did this whole uh, – Tell me, talk to me about the beginning, the origins of uh, – airplane and how this all came to be 
we discovered Zero Hour one morning when we were clearing off our videotape. We used to uh, record late night movies, not for the movies, but to get the commercials so we could make fun of them. And uh, in our show, in our Kentucky Fried Theater show at the time, which we were running in West L.A. And one morning we kind of lost interest in the commercials. We got kind of engrossed in this old black and white 1957 airliner in trouble movie called Zero Hour. And so that's how that's how we thought, well, we could redub it. But then we thought, why don't we just recast it with, you know, actors like Robert Stack and. Uh, and so we started writing the movie and we didn't know anything about writing movies at the time. So in a way, I suppose it could be kind of inspirational that we didn't know anything and we were able to eventually do it by learning on the job. Yeah, if if not knowing anything is inspirational to people, we should be the gold standard. Yeah, or they, I think we were going to say the poster child, right? Both fine. You could say that too. Well, that's really how all fatherhood journeys begin. We don't really know anything. You know, we think we know, and then we get into it, and all of a sudden we're like, okay, we learn on the job here. And uh, so you guys, obviously casting the film here, Robert Stack, and uh, Leslie Nielsen, uh, Peter Graves, uh, uh, you had such a huge cast in, in the film. What was it like? Were any of those guys dads when you guys went through the filming? I'm curious to know, like, what was Leslie Nielsen like, you know, just to work with and as a father? Like, what, what was it like with Leslie? Leslie was fun. He was, he was, uh, he, he had this whole career of very serious movies. And we, we didn't know that he actually did have a great sense of humor. In fact, he was somewhat of a closet comedian and he would bring this little, uh, fart machine to the set and make the other actors crack up in the middle of their lines. And, uh, it, it disrupted the whole set, but it, it was great fun. And, uh, Leslie, had uh, two daughters and they ended up and, and their kids ended up going to the same school as my son and daughter. So, and, and my, uh, my, my daughter was in the same class as uh, Leslie's uh, grandson and quite wow. a talented kid too. He played the drums and was a singer and they did talent shows together. So it was another Zucker Nielsen pairing. When was when was the uh, when was the first time you guys sat down and watched the movie or your kids got a chance to visit? I told you, I just watched it with my teenagers. They saw it for the first time, loved it, and it was definitely different than the comedy movies they had ever seen. Uh, what was the first experience your kids had to see in the film? Well, with me, I showed it to my son uh, when he was about two, and uh, all 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 he remembers about it was were the, were the boobies, and yeah. <laughs> and so then after that. Uh, you know, we started watching a lot of softcore porn together, and uh, he saw it as poop. So, uh, so it was that was a, a fun bonding experience. <laughs> How about you, Jim? Well, I sort of remember when we were making the movie, thinking, "Well, someday I am going to have kids, and I'm going to have to explain this to them." And then, when my oldest kid was about ten. One day I walked into our TV room and he was sitting there with two or three of his friends with the screen frozen on the shot of the woman whose boobs were very apparent. And I didn't have to explain anything. It was just, (laughs) he got it. But yeah. 
It's yeah. good, healthy stuff. Yes. Well, yes. One of the most popular, uh, uh, you know, scenes in the film. And I guess, David, I can kind of tell who kind of wrote the, the, the lines for Adam Graves, uh, P- I mean, Peter Graves in the, uh, in the movie there with the young boy. Oh, you, oh yeah. <laughs> well, oh, that's right. Of course. Uh, I, I, that came out of my uh, personal experience. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. There's so so many things in the in the movie. Just when watching it, some of the subtle things, like even when the when when uh, she's talking about the play. Oh yeah, I just found a nice little spot for us by the beach. It's got uh, mirrors on the ceiling, and it, she just throws that in there and just keeps going on. And so many things in that movie that that hit you, and you don't even realize it, like until you revisit it. And Julie's derig- delivery as an actress is so <laughs> genuine and so yeah. innocent that that's how we got away with a lot of those things. It wasn't salacious at all and you know when she blows up the automatic pilot it's julie and so she's and uh, she really is that person she's very much that that personality and, and some of the things i realized too that i had to explain to my kids because like the, the new rockney uh reference there they didn't really understand what that was so that led me to introducing them to newt rockney and say hey we got to watch newt rockney all american and, and so it, it brings up those kind of things it's yeah, kind I of mean, fun every once in a while when I'm feeling bad about myself, they have these new uh, on YouTube today. You can watch people watching airplane for the first time. <laughs> and it's so much fun to see their reaction and lots of stuff, you know, from 1980, like, like uh, when Bob Hayes gets on the plane and he gets a ticket and she says smoking or non-smoking. And people say, "Wait, were you allowed to smoke on planes back yeah. then?" Yeah. And despite despite that, when she hands uh, Hayes the ticket, it gets a laugh. Yeah, and I and, and all the reporters running into the phone booths. What are phone booths? Right. What were those? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny how so many of the things. And it's cool about Newt Rockney. I don't know. You know, I bet nobody gets that anymore the, you I, know, New and Notre Dame and yeah for some reason people barely got it in 1980 yeah so now it's, yeah well t- tell me about the book here surely you can't be serious the true story of airplane uh talk to me about the book a little bit what can the readers expect uh, available now I'm going to put the link where's the best place for them to get it and what can they expect when they when especially for the big fans of the film what are they going to find out in there that they may not know about an easy way to get it is just go to theairplanebook.com and that will direct you to anywhere that's easy to buy, buy the book. And one, one reason why we wrote the book was because I mean, there's so many great stories that nobody knew uh, dating back to when we first started our theater back in, uh, in Milwaukee and Madison, and then our trip out to LA and all the things that we went through. And, uh, and, and what actually one reason why we wrote the book was because our kids didn't know this story. They they knew the the headlines, like, yeah, we did this and that movie, but they don't know. And I we really did want them to have this record. Uh so and and I don't think uh, anyone really close to us knew this story. Right. And I and I think even though there's specifics of our story, hopefully there's stuff that anybody can relate to not just fans of airplane but anybody can relate to about how they grew up taking chances or being afraid to take chances um so i hopefully there's a larger theme than even just the details and the adventures we had and the laughs we had making airplane 
And one of the things, too, that my kids realized as they watched the movie was that where I got so many of the lines that I had been saying to them for years, like, because it's one of the movies that I quote all the time, like, you know, it, it's a big building with patience, but that's not important right now. Or <laughs> I would just say these different lines and they had no idea what I was talking about. So as they were watching, like, oh, now we get that's where, where that like, came from. Like, how do you take your coffee? And they wonder, what right. what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely hit them with that one, too. But there's so so many of them. <laughs> Uh, great one-liners that are in, in in that film. And again, so um, uh, Surely You Can't Be Serious, the true story of Airplane, the link is down there in the description below. And obviously, just you know, for any fan, when did you guys realize that this was going to become like a cult following for this movie? When did you realize that, man, th this movie is more than what we thought it was going to be? When did it really skyrocket for you guys and you knew this was one? We, we were always confident that it would be a big hit because we had been telling studios and every studio in town turned us down before Paramount got it. We kept saying, this is going to be a hit, and nobody believed it. So then when it actually was a hit, uh, we weren't surprised. However, 43 years later, when it's still, you know, affecting people and people are quoting the lines and it's reaching new generations, this is uh, the surprise to us. And it's the other thing that was a huge surprise for me is Will Harris did the interviews for our book, and he interviewed a bunch of celebrities, Letterman and uh, Sarah Silverman, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, a bunch of people who talk about how airplane affected them. And we're thinking, wow, I mean, and we didn't know beyond anything we had ever considered. Yeah, well, it's had a major impact on so many people. And one thing I'm curious to get your take on is for parents that have kids that are interested in writing, in filmmaking, the, the way that we consume media and movies and content is completely different from when you guys were on the scene. Now it's a lot of it is, uh, you know, consumed in gulps, like people binge watch these shows. And so and the way that people are being discovered now is uh, drastically different, too. So what advice do you have for the parents out there that have kids interested in writing, filmmaking and beyond? Well, I mean, we always say just do it. Do whatever you can do. I mean, everybody's got a, a cell phone, so uh, you can actually make content. And it's all about content. It's all about, you know, for us, it, it, originality. We, were, we weren't copying anybody else. We absolutely did new stuff, and we weren't afraid to try new things. And if you do some quality stuff, it'll, it'll find an audience. And I, I think you just have to keep going. Otherwise, I would advise... Quit now, you'll never make it. But go ahead, Jim. Yeah, and the other thing is, because we do all have cell phones, and everybody can film anything all the time, but part of a huge part of our learning curve was we had this theater, and we would show our stuff in front of people who didn't love us, who didn't care about us too much, who had paid money to see it, and so they were really objective in their response. And if something didn't work, we learned how to fix it or to, how to cut it. And I think that's a real big part of the learning process is today, kids or anybody who's interested, film it, but then show it to people, not your friends and relatives, but people who don't care and get an objective response. And that's a, that's a big part of the learning process. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really good point. And how did you guys uh, drag? Uh, um, uh... Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar into this film. What was that all about? How did you guys get him to do the movie? A lot of it was pure luck. I mean, the first person we went to was Pete Rose, but it was baseball season, so he couldn't do it. So Kareem 
you know, like a lot of actors in the movies, was not the first choice, but it turned out to be such a gift because, you know, we were able to write all that other dialogue for him because there was some controversy. And and Kareem was regarded as this kind of quiet or aloof or sullen guy and with no sense of humor. And this thing completely changed his image. And he talks about it in the book, how he, it completely changed everything for him after airplane. And he still gets hauled into the cockpit in, uh, with by pilots saying they want to tell people that they flew with Murdoch. <laughs> yeah. I've been hearing that ever since I left UCLA. Like yeah. I, I, that was a great, great part. And it was awesome to have him in the movie. And when they pull him out, he's so tall and his legs, he's got the Lakers shorts on. I mean, that, that was what a riot. And the goggles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, surely you can't be serious. The true story uh, of Airplane Link is down there below. Encourage everybody uh, to go grab yourself a copy. And the last thing I want to hit you guys with here, I'd love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast. We'll start with you, David. What type of advice do you have for that new dad that's out there or for that about-to-be father who's listening? Uh, don't listen to all the people saying, you know, oh, it's it's going, you know, the, actually they always say, when they become teenagers or when they get to be 11 or 12, oh, you're in for trouble. But, you know, you just, you know, if if you set a good example, uh, they're going to get in trouble anyways. I got in trouble. My kids, uh, you know, got the same trouble I got in. And so because of that, I didn't come down too hard them like my mother did on me because my mother never got in any trouble. So, you know, I felt like I was a criminal. But, uh, you know, you got to go go easy on them. And, uh and forgive them. Always forgive. Well said, Jim. You know, I, I've i watched first my oldest son and my son-in-law become new dads in the last few years. And it's it's been an interesting experience. And my advice, I think, to anybody who's going to be a new dad is help as much as you can. <laughs> because mom's going to be wiped out. And, yeah. and, and uh you know, change as many diapers, sit there for as many feedings and, you know, help as much as you can, because that first year in particular is really exhausting. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. Uh, David Zucker, Jim Abrams, you guys are first class fathers all the way. Thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood and good luck. We're all, we're, we're all counting on you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.